Uh, if you would please turn, if you haven't already, to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. Please hear God's word. One day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. She said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. So that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him and he said to him, say now to her, see, you've taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. And he said, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and bore a son about the time that following spring, as Elisha had said to her. Now when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him, and brought him to his mother. The child sat on her lap till about noon. And then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And shut the door behind him and went out. And then she called to her husband and said. Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys. That I may go quickly to the man of God and come back again. And he said. Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said. All is well. Then she saddled the donkey and said to her servant, Urge the animal on, do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, all is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And then she said, did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment, take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, don't reply. And lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, 
As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon the child. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we beg you to speak. We pray that in these moments, that we, even me, in these moments would have ears to hear, that these words would be your words, and that there would be nothing in between, even me. Lord, I pray that these ancient words would show themselves to be entirely relevant and of supreme importance in the lives we live in the here and now. Give us the grace to hear and to respond appropriately. And this, in this very evening, it is in your name we pray. Amen. Probably one of the happier developments um, this school year. This is number 15, and this was the first year I thought, I, I could use another month. And uh, when my voice broke down on day one, I thought, you know, I'm not Mr. Worksheet. What are we going to do for 200-some days? And so a uh, new guy next door came in with some tea called Throat Coat. Man, it is solid gold. And I brewed some tonight. And I drove off and left it on the bar. So you're going to have to hear me croak through at least one more lesson. If you have ever been in my Sunday school class, or at least during the original run, not the sequel, you um, probably know the answer to this question and therefore you can't say it. What do Abraham, Jacob, John, the man born blind, and the Shunammite woman all have in common? $100 if you know. They're the first five people I want to meet when I get to heaven. And I don't know why. Why do you like who you like? Do you really know? I could give you a lot of reasons, especially with the man born blind. He seems to have a PhD in sarcasm to some chief priests that had it coming. But I don't really know so much of why I find myself, um, I find this particular person in the Bible so endearing. And uh, I have the pleasure of going over it frequently because after I teach lesson number one, which is why I'm convinced I'm supposed to be at PCS, 
I then, not presumptuously, but tried to tell every student there that here's why I think you may be here. For some, the experience will be forgettable, but for others, even if it's a minority, it won't be. And it will depend upon the mentality that you bring to it. And mentality, number one, is the mentality of this woman. With respect to a godly, divine opportunity. So here's this woman. We know that she has a lot of money. We also know, even before we're told she has no children, that something's missing. She's found what a lot of well-to-do people have discovered. And instead of saying to her husband, you know, maybe we could put in a pool or some new countertops, or maybe they already had all that, I don't know. She sees the man of God. I'm sure there were men of God, but let's make no mistake. Once Elijah handed the baton off, the man of God, who was about to raise the dead, is Elisha. And she sees him regularly, semi-regularly passing their way. She sees God placing an opportunity in front of her, and she wants to reach out. So she says to her husband, let's make a room. And we can afford that. Let's go upstairs and make a room. Wall, table, chair, bed, lamp. I know that sounds like Motel 6 to you, but I think that was a pretty big deal back then. You know, a place where he can go and feel like maybe he's not imposing and can kind of be on his own and come and go. In other words, honey, do you know what we need around here? More God. And I'm going to give the man of God, I'm going to make it really hard for him to tell us no. It kind of reads like every southern woman I've met who goes on and cooks the feast and then guilts you into staying and eating all of it. It doesn't say that she told him. It's just this nice place. What's he going to say? No. So he stays. She got what she wanted though I'm not sure she understood right away what she had gotten. I mean, do any of us? So, she makes room in her life and in her house for God, and God responds. Almost like he enjoys being invited as much as he enjoys to invite. So, Elisha, being the man of God, not just a miracle worker, but I think equally important, decent, wants to reciprocate. And he looks at Gehazi and says, call her in here, what can we do for you? And he made her an offer that 99% of people would have jumped at. You want me to put in a word for the king? Commander of the Army, the VIPs, would you like to attend the White House dinner? I know you can afford it. You probably have a nice evening gown. You probably would embarrass yourself. And probably to his surprise, she said, no thank you, I dwell among my own people. Most people you've met 
want you to think they're more sophisticated, important, wealthy, intelligent than they actually are. Here's, at least just for the sake of variety, someone refreshingly different. No, I'm not looking to leave the life I have behind. I'm not unhappy. I just wanted more God here. I wanted you to come here. I didn't want to go there. I dwell among my own people. And so Elisha, here's Gehazi's suggestion that she's sonless, maybe childless. One commentator went on and said childless. I, I don't know if he's just assuming that like me or if he had reason to believe that. And so, well, you know, she has no son. We'll call her in here. This time, about this time next year, you will embrace a son. Did you hear how fast she locked her brakes up? Did you see the skid marks on that? No. No. Why would you say no to the man of God? Whether we know it or not, we do unconsciously place limitations on either what God can or is willing to do, don't we? Some of it may be out of a guilty conscience. Well, I know he can do it, but he probably wouldn't do it for me. That's my number one reason for doing so. But here's the problem with that. Everybody's got that thing, don't they? I don't care if you live what some people would consider a charm life. You can only have your heart broken so many times and after heartache number X or Y or Z, we just put that in that closet over there and we lock it and we don't go in there anymore, do we? And the problem with that is this. You invited God into your home. Don't be surprised when like a bloodhound, he goes straight for that closet. Like, yeah, let's talk about that. He seems to like to want to blow your limitations sooner rather than later. She's probably wasted enough time in her life settling. How about you? Eradicate the word just from your prayer life. Lord, just keep us safe. Lord, just, just, just. I know we say it out of habit and don't even hear it coming out of the mouth, but... Is an almighty God a just God? And I don't mean that in terms of justice. I mean, does he just settle? Does he help you get by? Are we surviving or are we thriving? Because there's a difference. So don't be surprised that if when you finally do reach out and find a divine opportunity, it doesn't go exactly in the direction you expect. It will be a roller coaster ride with a divine God. I think sanctification just requires that. And sure enough, skip several years, and it says the child is grown. I think they were grown a little earlier than they are today. So let's say teenager, minimum. Child goes out in the field. I don't know if something had hit him or brain tumor or what. But it's bad, and dad says take him to his mother. 
This kid curls up and dies in her lap. You thought she was traumatized before she had the child? What's Mary standing there thinking at the cross? Flashing back to 21 years earlier when she lost the Son of God and found Him. Here's what I suspect she was thinking. Man, that old man was right. A sword deer pierced my very own soul. I'm glad that's over. Only to find out, you know, in that same town, right around the corner from the same place where she found him, she lost him again for another three days. And this time, she knew right where he was. Yesterday's successes, victories... They have to pay forward into our lives. But you can't blame her. She did put her cards on the table right from the get-go. I do like that. She didn't have any false advertising. Don't. I, I can't. But he did it. And now the child's dead. And I think if you read the next several verses about any other person in any other context, you would say, well, they're clearly traumatized, which I have no doubt she is. I just don't think she's simply, only traumatized. She takes the child and she puts him where I think in her mind he came from. God spoke that child into being in that room. And who knows? what he might else do in that room. Go read Romans chapter 4 and look at Abraham's faith. The father of us all who made the great confession in the presence of him who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that are not. What is resurrection other than the other side of the coin of creation? I think that's why it comes first. It's not just that it happened first. It's that if you don't believe that God can speak life-altering circumstances into your life, don't bother reading to page 2. Until you've settled that, and everybody in Hebrews 11 has, go read verse 3. Once you've settled that, then what can God not do? So... She puts him in that bed and she tells her husband, I need a mule and a servant going to see the man of God. And he said, why? It's not new moon or Sabbath. And she said, all is well. It kind of reads like she didn't even tell him. And if she didn't, you've got two options. Either she's crazy or somewhere deep down inside like only a mother of a miracle child would, she doesn't think this is over until the man of God says it's over. And so she takes off and tells the guy not to hit the brakes till we get to Mount Carmel. When she gets there, the man of God sees her coming. And he tells Gehazi, that's the Shunammite. You know, this is a long-standing relationship at this point. I don't know how old the kid was, but if you go back to before his birth and now this... He knows her. Run down there to meet her and say, all well with you, all well with your husband, all well with the child. He doesn't know for certain, but he knows her, doesn't he? 
She ain't there because she ran out of money. She's not there because she's got some dispute with a neighbor. She's not there because she's having a bad day. He put her on the spot and she said, I'll dwell among my own people. And Elisha said, well, let's just have more people. And, you know, he's pretty close to her heart of zeroing in on it. But for whatever reason at this point, probably because there are other lessons to be learned, God has not told Elisha exactly why she's there. So Gehazi gets there, asks that, and she tells him, all is well. And then she gets to the man of God. And she grabs his feet, which apparently was some kind of a social or religious no-no. Gehazi's trying to push her away. You know, but like someone later in the New Testament who had a very similar name, some woman starts touching his feet, and one of the critics says, you know, if he knew what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't be letting her touch him. The interesting part of that story is he knew just what kind of man the man thinking that was. And push people away when they have a need. This isn't for show. This is the real thing. Question. Why didn't she settle for the servant? Because she didn't have to. And neither do you. I'm happy for you to come to the Bible teacher or the pastor or whatever. That's great. But you know the great thing about our faith? Straight to the throne. You get to go to the Son. You don't have to settle for a servant. She didn't come there to see the servant. She came to see the man of God. She saw him and she gets at his feet and and she still hadn't said anything. And then she looks at him. I don't think I even have to describe the look on her face, do I? Did I ask you for a son? Didn't I say, don't deceive me? Does God hear us the first time? Even when it doesn't appear that he was listening at all? Abraham went out there on the hill six times, starting at 50, and then I think rethinking his position on Sodom and what he probably heard about it. 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. He gets down to about 10. I guess thinking he's safe. I mean, surely my nephew wouldn't live in a town where there's not at least one other godly family. And then that's it. God leaves. And Abraham goes back, I have to assume, feeling a little better than he did before he asked the first time. And then he woke up. You could smell it. Salt's in the air. Burning cities, burning flesh, burning everything. Remember what Martha said about the stench of the death of a loved one? I bet that's traumatizing. But more to the point, if you're Abraham, why God let me sit there and ask six times, no less, 
for what I wanted to spare my nephew, because let's be clear, that's the only interest he had in Sodom. And I wake up to this. He doesn't know what you, the reader, know at that point. trust God or was he just not listening and then sometimes just no it's going to get worse before it gets better I'm not going to uh, relitigate the goings on in the cave with Lot and his daughters but one of those children was named Moab and eventually through Moab would come a Moabitess named Ruth who would marry back in to not only the descendants of Abraham, but the tribe of Judah, through whom would come David and through whom would call Jesus. God knows what he's doing. Even when you don't know what he's doing, God knows what he's doing. You don't know what you're doing. God heard you the first time and he found a way in the midst of destruction, much like Noah and his family, to take his children and save them. But just don't expect it to seem that way in the short run, especially with those big requests, especially where your heart is. And so it reads like when he told Gehazi to take your garment and my staff and take off, based on what comes next, I have to assume he intended for her to go with Gehazi. This is probably my favorite part. She said, as the Lord liveth and as you live, I will not leave you. Now think, who do you know in the Bible, not that much earlier, who had said that exact same thing? Three times, no less. Elisha had said it to Elijah when Elijah basically gave him three options to you know, remind him that Jezebel was still riding her broom around the northern kingdom. And you really, you really want to do this? You don't want to do this. As the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Loyalty is pretty rare in life, isn't it? Just because you give it, don't expect to receive it, at least from the people you give it to. But you'll be shocked where it comes from, won't you? You know how refreshing that must be? If you're Elisha, you're not bugging him. You're not bugging the Lord when you remind him what his promises are. And finally, you hear your own words repeated back to you by a woman whose name we don't even know. So we've seen the faith of Abraham. Now we see the faith of Elisha himself. But here's the other thing about loyalty. If you go back to Genesis 3, the first prophecy of the Bible, coming on the heels of the hideous, disastrous ingratitude and treachery of humanity, and they're standing there. You know, they could read creation like a book without a book. Now they're hiding in the bushes and tattling on themselves and each other like kindergartners, just like that. I want you to play out in your mind. I don't want you to do it theologically. Play it out like you're Eve. 
And you're all lined up, the three of them. Three guilty persons. And this is what you hear first while you're standing there, naked and ashamed, having betrayed the Lord who is handing you a planet to Edenize while you went with a guy who never done anything for you, who dared suggest that God might not be as good as you think. He might be stingy. As God said you can't eat of any tree. You fell for that. And then you hear God say this, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He'll bruise your head. You'll bruise his heel. That has to alter the way she heard what came next. With the curse and the pain of childbearing and marital strife. And for Adam as well. You imagine standing there at your absolute worst, most exposed moment. Got guilt tattooed on your forehead. You feel like an idiot. You feel, I guess, prodigal because look at what you've squandered. And God starts by demonstrating his loyalty to you right after you betrayed him and looking at your enemy and saying, this isn't over. This is just the beginning. This isn't over. From her will come someone. And for all of your harassing and all of your heel blows, he'll deal a death blow to you and he will avenge her. That's the kind of parent you'd want, isn't it? That's the kind of minister when your marriage is swirling the bowl or you blew it all the money on gambling or whatever it is. That's the kind of minister you listen to, isn't it? The kind that's in the fight for your life and your soul. That kind of loyalty, sadly, is pretty rare, but when you experience it, there's nothing like it. This woman did not leave him. She very much like Jacob. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Remember the context of that statement? Everything and everyone Jacob had. Only Benjamin was yet to be born. It's one thing when you leave and you've got a stick in your hand and a rock you're sleeping but when you're on the way back and you have an awful lot to lose and the report is Esau's coming with 400 men yo and you put them because you don't care what people think anymore you don't, think, you don't care if you think you're a bad dad accuse you of hiding behind them on the other side of the river you put them over there because let's be honest whose hands are they in now and you stay there and deal with God one-on-one. -on -one. And God comes to you. And don't, don't read past this. And don't blame it on the devil because he wasn't there that night. God reaches down, grabs the biggest joint you have, and wrenches it out of socket permanently. If it ended Bo Jackson's career, what do you think it'll do to yours? It hurts, doesn't it? 
Then, he said, the day's breaking. Esau's coming. What are you going to do? Your mama's not here to dress you up like your brother at this time. And now you know what cheating people's like after too many years of laboring. What are you going to do? I will not let you go unless you bless me. What in the world would you have to see in the face of someone who just inflicted life-altering pain on you to believe still? Here lies the answer to all my problems. This is it. I don't have to manipulate or scheme or try harder. Every answer to every problem in my life is here in the face of God. Job-like, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. This woman did not come to see Gehazi, and she's not returning without Elisha, so off they go. Gehazi comes back before they get there and says, you know, the, the stick didn't work because, well, the stick doesn't make the man. And so Elisha comes in, and he does the mouth-to-mouth, eyes-to-eyes, hands-to-hands thing. I don't know what that's about, and I don't know, as I tried to explain to my students, because they're real curious about this one verse. I don't know why he sneezed seven times unless he was allergic to being dead, but... Anyway, he's alive now. And in one of her finest moments, I mean, this woman is the gift that keeps on giving. He said, call her in and pick up your son. And what does she do first? This is unbelievable. What mother that ever lived would not pick up her son first when he's freshly resurrected? She bows at Elisha's feet. Much like the Samaritan leper. Raised his voice the first time because he had to, by law, staying over there. Raised his voice the second time because he wanted to. Jesus ain't hard of hearing. Be honest. Do you bring as much intensity to your prayers of gratitude as you did to your prayers of desperation? I'm not asking what should you do. I'm asking what do you actually do? It's awful rare that we come with gratitude worthy of God's goodness. This woman, she knew from whence her son came and her life. This relationship with the man of God, with God through the man of God, would probably be the best way for us to look at it. You flip the page to chapter 8. There's been a famine. Elisha gave her a heads up. She left town long enough that her property had been seized, or at least someone tried to claim it. And she walks in. Gehazi is talking to the king, whoever it was at that point. And for some reason, the king was interested about hearing about, I think, like Elisha's greatest hits. Tell me about the time or, you know, whatever. And right about the time he gets to the Shunammite woman, she returns and comes in the palace to petition the king to get her property back. Your relationship with God always pays dividends. When you think it's over, it's not. And what you'd settle for is not what God settles for. He's God. He doesn't have to. Neither do his children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to persevere 
And through your grace, not our own efforts, but through your grace and your commitment to us, we would be conquerors, more than conquerors, through you who loved us. Give this church and this community in this age the grace to conquer, to more than conquer, not to settle. In Christ's name, amen.